You're listening to the Outdoors Channel. I am witnessing the blossoming of a truly magnificent new form of communication. That's one small step for man. Reaching out into other worlds. One I think it's a splendid idea. Hi everybody and welcome to another issue of the Outdoors Channel magazine show. Uh, where we share information, news and experiences, in fact anything to do with the great outdoors to encourage us all to get out more. Uh, just to give you a quick note of that uh, feedback telephone number that we've got, if you want to contribute to the show and leave any messages for us, it is 020-8133-9434. That's 020-8133-9434. Well, what have you got on today's show? Um, once again, we're at Harrogate Trade Show, which was uh, in uh, early July there, and uh, we're speaking to two interviews this time, one with uh, Richard White, uh, the business development manager from LifeMark, who tells us about a whole new range of equipment and products they've got coming out. And an interesting one with uh, Simon Baisley, the editor of uh, trade magazine OCC, which is published by Blaze Publishing, a very well-respected trade magazine, and he uh, shares with us some thoughts. But first, we're going to have a bit of music, some nice, easy-listening music. And this is from a uh, UK artist, Robin Tim, T-Y-N-N. Uh, and that music is available on the Podsafe Music Network. Just go in there and look him up. The track's called uh, Going Nowhere Fast, and I thought it'd be a nice, gentle, easy way to ease ourselves into this show.
turning back I'll make this trip in record time Oh, you know that's just like me Help and misery I'm on fast forward, no rewind City stretches out below This window ledge on the 15th floor As I step out, the crowd lets out a gasp Going nowhere fast That's Robin Tim, Going Nowhere Fast. Um, there's not uh, any information I've got him, uh, from him, actually, on the Podsafe Music Network, so I've just got a name and uh, a track title, but uh, very uh, David Gray, I think. Very nice. Um, well, the Harrogate Trade Show. Yeah, well, that's where most people uh, get together during the summertime uh, in the trade. Uh, the outdoors trade, that is, to show their wares. It's uh, a bit of an odd time for people to, to see products because most of them have already bought their products for summer, but obviously they're previewing things for the following year. Um, the OCC Outdoor Magazine is the outdoor industry publication for retailers, wholesalers, manufacturers and service providers. And um, I got to meet the editor, Simon Baisley, who I thought would be interesting to have a chat with him and, and find out from his point of view um, for what he thought and um, end user's perspective of what the industry was looking like at this particular moment in time. From an end user's point of view, it's a great time to be alive because uh, pretty much similar to any other kind of uh, leisure orientated industry, the fact is that the trade is struggling. They're struggling to find customers and inevitably they feel that the only way they can attract customers is by cutting prices. So you have immense amount of choice and you have a, a, pretty, uh, a pretty good sort of pricing system out there at the moment. Talked out from the trade's point of view, it's very difficult to make any kind of forecast as to where it's going because you can't make a forecast about where any industry is going. You have uh, most of the uh, British manufacturing uh, of any importance has now disappeared. That's all gone to the Far East. The brands are finding it very difficult to differentiate themselves from one another. The uh, margins of excellence are very narrow so that you know everything that is good is very good indeed. So how does anybody make a profit in that particular marketplace? I don't actually have an answer to that question. If I did, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be floating on a yacht in the Caribbean. Um, obviously, the high street's changing as well. I mean, the, the, the actual running costs of, of running a, a retail property and online is developing. Um, there's an ebb and flow that takes place naturally when that, that happens. You know, there was the sort of boom and bust of the first sort of retail shops, should we say, that were online. Um, has it settled down, do you think, now? Uh, I doubt that it's settled down. I will say that from the independent retailer's point of view, and as the editor of a trade publication, my fortunes are inextricably linked to those of the independent retailers because the big multiples in this marketplace take no attention to what trade magazines say, and why should they? The crumb of comfort came at the end of last year. If you looked at the results for general fashion uh, retail brands such as Next and you compared them with those of the Pilot High, Sell It Cheap Brigade like Matalan, you saw that there appeared to be some tiredness on the part of the consumer for the endless cycle of sales and the things that the handmaidens to that. I mean, we all know the TK Maxx experience, great bargains to be had, but then you've got a queue for four and a half days to get someone to actually take your money. 
So if I'm right about that, and I'm very rightly right about anything, the likelihood is that there is some hope for the independent retailer in the fact that people appear to be moving back towards the service area. I wouldn't ever overrate that. I think when the, it comes down to a trade-off between getting a lower price and a decent standard of service, the tendency is still to take the lower lower price. You asked about the internet. Clearly, particularly in the markets in the outdoor sector, such as um, uh, the specialist markets like kite surfing, wake surfing, um, uh, terrain running, all those kind of areas which are quite specialist, they're carried out by young people. Young people tend to be much more technically literate and are much happier using a computer. So, the, so that side of the market is going to grow. And the retailers, both independent and, um, and multiples, have been quick to pick up on that. They both have, you know, very, nearly all have very strong websites where that's concerned. So I, I, but I don't see necessarily um, internet in the immediate future destroying the retail habit. But I do see all the various combined business pressures of which the internet is one as far as the independent retailers are concerned. I do see those continuing to mount. It's the usual story. If you're if you're good at business or you have a particular, you're willing to get up at four o'clock in the morning, go to bed later than the other guy, in business you'll tend to succeed as you will in most departments of life. There's no secret to it beyond that. I tend to get up at 10 o'clock in the morning and go to bed at one o'clock in the afternoon, so you can imagine what my life's like. Sounds, sounds fabulous. Um, is there anything, do you think, that the, um, the retailer can do to, to, to develop his relationship more with the, the consumer, with the end user. Uh, because sometimes you get a bit of a feeling there's a bit of complacency going on with some of the larger stores, certainly. Yeah, I think that's right. The complacency probably doesn't arise so much from sort of an institutionalised attitude. It's the very nature of large retailing, which is that you are some way away, the staff are some way away from the principles of the business. In other words, you know, they're Saturday morning people who are just filling in. There's a high turnover in staff. And again, echoing this theme of trying to support the independent retailer, you do have someone when you walk in the independent retailer whose fortunes are wholly dependent upon, you know, getting on with you as a customer. Of course, that doesn't necessarily stop some independent retailers being kind of fairly ambivalent about the level of service that they give. But, um, I think that um, it's nothing new. There's not, not any rocket science. There are no profound ideas to come out of it. It's very straightforward. Be involved with your customers. Understand better what your customers are actually aiming for. Use your product knowledge in a, a way that is sensitive to their particular needs. And obviously, uh, the most difficult part of all is deliver the products to the customer at a price that they feel makes it worthwhile, perhaps coming to your store rather than going to some big, rather impersonal store on the edge of town. Um, obviously, here at Harrogate, we've got uh, the, tr the trade fair going on at the moment, uh, which I understand is considerably smaller than it used to be due, for, due to different reasons. But what's the vibe you're picking up from this particular show uh, this week? Well, a lot of things shrink in old age, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, I think the... the the vibe that I get, as you, as you say, is that, that people come to these shows. British industry, not just the outdoor trade, has learned to get by on low expectation. And so anything that happens that runs contrary to that is treated with great surprise and great enthusiasm. And I think the exhibitors came here in the dark as to what to expect. And they have been marginally, I wouldn't go as far as to say pleasantly, but marginally surprised that things have gone as well as they have. Whether 
in the cold light of day when they come to consider the outlay of costs for being here and the subsequent orders that they might get as a result and indeed their general performance over the year, whether they can afford to come back here next year, given the alternatives for spending that marketing money in other ways, that remains to be seen. I'm not optimistic, uh, not because there's any particular uh, anything wrong with this show, it's a good-looking show, but because worldwide trade shows are uh, thinning out, uh, you're getting much more consolidation and atrophy out towards the centre, and as a European economy... Uh, we lie at the edge of Europe, which is why trade shows, which are at the centre of Europe, particularly uh, Germany, are growing, and why the ones in the UK are not. And let's not forget the two very important facts about UK trade shows is the complete absence of either local or national government in sponsoring them, whereas in Germany, the, you know, state and city authorities are very supportive. And number two, the deep horror that the average British uh, worker has towards serving anybody, of which trade shows are part of that. So, you know, we basically don't like doing these things. That is another story, of course. The, um, the PR aspect of uh, that retailers and also manufacturers uh, involve themselves in, do you think they're, they're doing enough, that they could be doing more? The quality of their sort of presentation and the, and the marketplace and the way they're distributing their information is of a good standard or is it dropped off recently or is it developing? Uh, you know, that's an, that's an interesting question in as so much it can be rephrased in a lot of different ways and, and reinterpreted in a number of different ways. You know, could, could, could I be a better husband? You know, uh, yes, is the answer, and I spend a lot of my waking hours worrying about ways in which I'm not as good as I might be. Yeah, PR is one because the problem with PR is always that it's so difficult to evaluate, and inevitably, therefore, gets pushed to the back of the queue when compared to those things where there is a clear result coming out of a clear action. The PR in the outdoor trade, compared to the other sectors of business in which we operate, is considerably better. Uh, probably because it's linked to a fashion industry and fashion PR is among the best that there actually is. The problem for small companies is that uh, inevitably you can't afford to devote a person to it. Any kind of professional PR operation is going to ask for the kind of money which it's not realistic to expect them to afford. So the PR comes down to something which the individual or a small group of individuals have the time to actually do. And when it's done like that, it's mostly done quite badly. Um, one of the roles of trade magazines uh, should be to offer guidance to smaller suppliers on how, for no money, effectively, low cost or no cost, they can get effective PR. And in fact, that's something that we do from time to time. But I wouldn't be too condemning. Their PR isn't awful, and it's certainly not bad when compared to, as I say, some other industries. Lovely. Well, thanks indeed for your time. I um, hope you've uh, enjoyed your time at the show. And you looking forward to doing the next one? Um, yeah, but, you know, it's, it becomes seamless after a while. You know, like, like the poor, trade shows are always with us, aren't they? Um, you're going to Friedrichshafen, I presume. I and what's your, your anticipation of that show? Is that, uh, I mean, obviously you've described how big it is and how different it is and how much more it's central Europe. Um, but that show as an entity, how do you think that's... Where, where is that going? Well, it, it's an example of what I said about the uh, atrophying around the edges and, and the core becoming stronger. Uh, Friedrichshafen started, I think, in 1994 and had 240 exhibitors. Uh, here we are in 2006 and it'll have 700. It had 13,000 visitors in 1994 and we'll have something reached from about 60,000 this year. So if I were the people organising that trade show, I would be very happy indeed. Um, 
so I have an anticipation of the next event that it will be uh, better than the uh, one last year and better than the year before. In the long term, however, the global market will see to it that that even Friedrich Haven and even the big German shows in other sectors will itself fall by the wayside. I mean, I'll probably be dead by then. Uh, I'm certainly not planning to live, uh, you know, much beyond 150. But it will happen because the nature of the beast is that markets and the world, of course, are growing smaller, not larger. Or rather, the markets are growing larger, but the world in which they operate is growing smaller. My thanks to Simon there for his insight into the industry from an end user's point of view. I think it's quite interesting to actually see uh, how it's developing and and obviously as end users, uh, consumers I suppose, uh, of of the products and goods, where it's all going, what's developing and uh, how much effort's being made into it. So thanks again to that, to to Simon. Um, Now LifeMark is a a name which uh, you'll see any shop you go into, uh, be it in the high street or, or, or any of the smaller independent shops, because they provide a huge range of accessories. Uh, and it was quite interesting to go to their stand and, and see what was coming for the next season, which has expanded enormously, and uh, they've started to use a bit more colour. So I spoke to Richard White, who's the uh, business development manager for LifeMark, and uh, asked him, well, what's new, what's coming for 2007? Right, LifeVenture is one of our travel brands, and we've got three real areas of um, a change. Um, our towel business has changed um, dramatically. Um, our packaging has changed dramatically and some of our larger products, our sleeping bags and backpacks and that sort of thing has changed a lot as well. I can see a lot of colour uh, this year in this, uh, in this stand. Yes, um, what we find is particularly with um, travel customers, they're wanting things that are a little bit different. So we're very fortunate to sell an awful lot of towels um, and what we find is a lot of people have got the same colour. So if we can have a bit of variety, some print works and something that's different, that is what people are after. Um, And we've come up with lots of different colours that people can choose from. So how do you choose these colours? There are prediction houses that you can get, um, mainly for the fashion brands in clothing. Um, Things like towels and backpacks are slightly a step behind and that sort of thing. So you can see what um, the designers from clothing are doing and then saying, Will that work on hard products, which is what we call this category? Okay, um, do you want to talk us through any new products you've got on the towels? Okay, on the towels, um, traditionally we've had two levels of towel. Um, the What we call our advanced series, which is the real core of our business, the softest fabric that you get out there with the most um, moisture um, retaining um, features, and that continues. We've added more antibacterial um, features to it as well, so it lasts a bit longer and sm- um, smells fresher. Um, the other one that is the core part of our business is the microfiber, which is more like a traditional towel. Um, they continue, we've tweaked them slightly, but they're still the core of our business. The exciting new developments for us are at the lower end of the market, where we have um, a Trek towel um, starting at 7.99, still a soft microfiber fabric, um, but at a lower retail price. There's a lot of um, competition out there. We're a premium brand, and we're making sure that we do cater for any retailer that wants the lower end. Um, and probably what we see is the smallest, lightest um, towel on the market, which is the um, Hydrofiber Ultralight. We've developed this fabric in conjunction with the European manufacturer to come up with the lightest towel fabric in the marketplace. 
we've put holes in it so it actually dries a lot quicker than any towel in the marketplace and what you what that gives you is a big towel but it's still a very small pack size what we're finding is customers are demanding bigger towels but the cheaper brands and some of the cheaper cheaper products you get the towel is then too big to actually take around the world so if you're going around the world for a year this is probably the best towel to take because it dries very very quickly and it packs down really small i have to say having touched the fabric it's 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 not an unpleasant feel against the skin either is it no um what life entry is all about is making sure the product is premium um, and what we've said here is it has to perform and has to feel right. A lot of the competition here, the, the moisture wicking is fantastic, but it feels hard. So what we've said, we have to make it soft. Actually, what we're looking at doing in production is washing it once because it gets even softer then. So first feel is always the important thing. The other thing on towels is what we're doing is colours and prints. So we have um, three different prints that we, we're developing. One which is a map of the world. So you can actually take it around the world and say, this is where I am or these are the places I've been to. Put a stain at every place you stop. Yes, yeah. get a marker pen and just <laughs> stab it. Um, pink flowers. Pink has always done well um, on under you know, fem- female products. A bit, bit condescending, unfortunately, but um, they do sell very well. And a bright orange one for someone who wants a brighter towel. So towel is a big part of our business and we've really improved the ranging now so we're quite excited about that. Excellent. Um, moving over to this stand in the centre here, uh, I see there's a range of new colours on these products as well. Do you want to talk me through um, yeah, sure. the development here? Um, what we've done here is um, we haven't moved on the product for this year on the, the belt packs and the document wallets etc but we think there's a big market in terms of colour. A lot of retailers have said we love your product, it's the best in the marketplace but it's generally all black. Um, can we have a bit more vibrancy? So again, there is a choice. Um, people are getting a bit more um, adventurous in what they wear in terms of T-shirts, clothing, so they may wear it for belt packs as well. So we've got four different colour ranges that go from a very small mobile phone ca- case all the way up to duffel bags, all in a variety of colours. And we've got um, terracottas, stones, cedar greens, um, and an ice blue as well. So it covers all markets. It looks quite fresh on the stand. And what we're encouraging customers to actually do is perhaps buy across the colours, not necessarily all product, and maybe only for one month. But at least there's an injection in the window or on a stand to say, hey, we've got some excitement within the range. Certainly it, it looks, it's going to look uh, much more attractive in the retailers, in the actual outlets themselves, to, to see the colours moving around. Yes. Um, and what we have found within um, other categories that we have, we have another brand called Little Life, and we've been asked for colour there. And um, what we're doing is spreading it within the, the whole ranges. Okay. Um, I see you've got some uh, sort of uh, laptop cases there. That's a. Okay. One thing that um, within product development that we wanted to improve upon was our whole stuff bag, packable, and dry bag um, category. Um, there, are, there is a lot of competition out there, but we do a, a very good business in that area. So we start down here on very ultra-light siliconized fabrics that hardly weigh anything. Then we go into hexagon ripstop dry bags that are probably one of the best in the market. We use Duraflex buckles, we use um, top quality webbing, and they're guaranteed waterproof. And what Life Venture has always done is always offer to the customer a very nice packaging solution as well. Extending from that is, like you say, on the laptop bags, where we've said there is a core market out there for people who want laptop bags. There are lots out there that are black and boring. 
Um, so what we said, let's try and do something different. And at very sensible retail prices, the large one's only £15 and the smaller one is twelve ninety nine. And that's what, a 12-inch screen in a sort of 15-inch screen? Yes, the biggest one will take a 17-inch screen at a push. Um, really, the 15.6 or 15.4 is the average. Um, and then you've got a 12-inch screen, like you say. Um, but they are highly water-resistant. You could dunk them in the bath and pull them out again, and you're fine. We wouldn't say that they're waterproof um, because there are seams in there. But they've got a roll top at the top to stop the water going in. So we, we think that's probably a limited market within the outdoors, but great for stuffing in a rucksack, great for taking with you in the boot in the car, um, and at sensible retails that customers can say it's not going to put them off. Well, certainly it's half the, half the thickness of the standard laptop bag as it stands anyway. So yeah. if you're just carting your laptop from, from A to B, it's quite a funky, funky bag, nice colours, and it'll slip inside something else quite easily. Yeah, well, the key for us is why would, who would buy it? It's somebody who's in the outdoors has got a, perhaps a big rucksack, and that will go inside it. Um, you can carry it as a briefcase as well. Um, so there will be a, a portion of the market that do that, but we don't think that's going to be the core. It's the people who want to stuff it inside something else. Okay, and now I see there's a uh, new branding here, EX3. Could you tell me uh, what, what, what this is all about? Um, we call it EX Cubed. Um, the reason for that is uh, within the marketplace on sleeping bags and sleeping bag liners, there is a lot of brands out there that do a very good job. And they're really um, targeted at um, mountain use. What we've said is we are a travel company, we do very well with travel, and our sleeping bags should be a travel, have travel connotations. So we start with a, a 750-gram sleeping bag that's a very soft microfiber outer um, with cotton inners, etc. Um, but the real difference for us is it's got this EX cube treatment. It's antibacterial on the inside, it's anti-mosquito and anti-bed bug. So there's three different um, ways at it. So if you are traveling, it will repel... Um, mosquitoes, which is the, the key. It will also get rid of bed bugs, well it won't get rid of them, it will stop them coming into your sleeping bag, which is a real uncomfortable thing to have. That technology also goes onto our sleeping bag liners, which is not available from any other, re- any other brand at the moment. We are introducing two synthetic products at 39 and 49, and two down products at 69 and 79, all packed down to very small sizes, yeah. and the down 600 being the smallest and the lightest that are available. For people who are going around the world, think they might want to take a sleeping bag but don't want to take a really big one and they're perfect for that certainly uh, certainly uh, i know various people that have, have come back from uh, some gap year experiences uh, and uh, taking a small sleeping bag helps them to uh, increase the insulation of the bags they make higher or use mm-hmm. the, the part of the company and as you say um, it's the knowledge knowing that you're going to be uh, certainly anti anti mozzie is probably one of the key things isn't it, it makes the people feel much happier yes it, it's something that we've got to push in the marketing stance because it is a key difference from what competitors do there are a lot of brands out there that do a fantastic job for uk outdoors we're a travel company we have to be different and therefore we've developed this um product in conjunction with other senior brands and to say that we are the best out there um, for a travel sleeping bag there aren't many out there so it's a port of call that they can go to and um, where is Life Systems now? It's, it's obviously looking like it's going to be a very busy 12 months for you. I understand that the Little Life series was extremely popular. Um, how do you see it going over the next 12 months, the sort of market trend? Um, life Systems is changing. Um, life Venture has grown in terms of colour, etc. Little Life is, is a real uh, area for growth for us. It's been very large growth within Outdoor. 
but there is another market channel for us, which is nursery, the big chains of um, children's shops, um, which we're now cracking into. Um, and they're seeing our product as distinctly better quality than what is available in the market at the, in the in the marketplace at the moment. The reason for that is we come from a rucksack heritage, not a child cot or um, nursery heritage. So that's what they're like, and we see growth there. One of the key differences for us, though, is we're introducing our fourth brand, Mountain Paws. Um, Little Life has been extremely exp- um, successful for us. Um, we've seen that people are taking children to outdoors. We also know they take dogs and animals. So we've launched a range of competitively priced dog bowls, dog toys, and dog leads, dog stays, dog towels, um, to make sure that we're catering for all parts of the family. Well, certainly if I have a look at that stand a bit closer there, uh, as you say, there's certainly a, a good range uh, immediately uh, here of the feeding bowls and, and uh, uh, water bowls as well and the leads. Uh, and looking at these leads, they're not traditional leads. They look like um, uh, climbing straps. Yeah, what we've, what we've found from customers, customers have come to us and said, we, we like your product, we like your stands, we like the way that you do things. And there are um, dog products available on the market, but they're very expensive. And what we want is something that is a price that you, can, you don't have to consider, if you like, and to be a point of difference. What we're, we're known for is technical outdoor products. So on the ropes, leashes that you've, you've suggested, they're made out of climbing rope. So these are the same leads we actually make our hammocks out of. So they're fully tested and they all take a 20-stone man. So it should be able to look after your dog okay. Looking at our towel technology, you know, we would like to think that we're the brand leader on towels, is... When you take your dog home after a muddy walk, they get very mucky and they muck up your kitchen and you try and hold on to them and they shake and all that sort of thing. So we just came up with an oven glove idea to try and um, find a different way of solving the dog being mucky problem. Um, And we've tested this on our um, product testing team, which you can see here. Um, and, And they've all done a great job of being able to develop this product to be the best out there. Um, what a remarkably simple idea. It's just a large pair of, uh, sort of oven gloves, as you say, using the towel technology. Yeah. And when, when I had my spaniel, I could have done with that several times over. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is a, a microfiber towel, so it's our top specification yeah, towel. Um, and it really soaks up the moisture very quickly. But it's easy to grab hold of your dog at the same time and towel them down. Um, so we think this could be a unique um, position in the marketplace. The dog bowls, um, what we've done on our dog bowls is made them competitively priced. They're fully waterproof. They've got a metal rim around the outside, similar to what you get from um, washing bowl technology from a lot of American brands and that sort of thing. But you have cinch um, gaiters on there as well, so you can actually put your food within the product and then um, store them um, quite safely. So you can put the whole thing inside the rucksack and it's not going to spill. Yeah. Um, and the water ones don't come with the gator, but they're slightly cheaper. Um, and again, once you put the food in there, they're very sturdy and you can get a good day's food within there and at a sensible price. So these, these bowls start at 7 um, which is very reasonable for what you see in pet shops and other outdoor shops. So when are we going to see these available in the, in the high street? Um, we're talking to some of our large customers today um, about bringing them in slightly early, see if we can get them in pre-Christmas. Um, but they'll be on general release from February because you know, that's when most people will be able to make the decision. If anyone can make the decision earlier, then we can supply them earlier for Christmas.
Richard White from LifeMark there. Well, thanks to Richard and also to Simon for um, their assistance and interviews. I thought it'd give people a bit of an insight, really, as to what's going on in the trade and what's what's coming uh, in the near future. Uh, now, with these uh, Outdoors Channel magazine shows, it's not all about trade, so um, there will be a whole variety of things coming in the near future. It's just that I happen to go to the Harrogate Trade Show and get a, a whole... Uh, range of interviews with different people so I thought it'd be interesting to share that with you well that brings us pretty well to the end we've got one short little notice here and then we're going to wrap up with some uh, music uh, again the music's all from the Podsafe Music Network which uh, we're supporting because they support unsigned artists and they get 90 cents of the 99 cents you get charged should you want to buy it the last track's going to be uh, Watchstar by Three Blind Mice or another UK band uh, Lyndon Conan uh, Alex Grayson and Sean Keane and they are currently recording their new album good grief uh, their music is available at catsaway.com uh, on itunes or cd baby and that's three blind mice so we're going to play out with that so we hope you've enjoyed the show uh, and not forgetting our feedback telephone number call now on this number 020 call me anytime you want this podcast is produced and hosted by the outdoors channel to find out more, visit theoutdoorschannel.co.uk. Well, that about wraps it up from us. I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. We've got plenty more coming as time goes by, so stay tuned. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our iTunes feed, and you'll automatically get everything new as it appears. And as soon as we've got the videos ready, we'll let you know about those as well. Anyway, here's Three Blind Mice and Watchstar. Um, chill out moment, have a listen to a bit of music, and then um, get ready for the rest of the day.